Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Well, who is Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Who is this person who has captured the imagination and the support of one out of every five Democrats in the country? I think a lot of people don't necessarily know very much about his history. The impression that I get is that most people know his association with being critical or skeptical of certain vaccinations. Most people know that he's part of a famous political family, and most people know that he's getting a lot of support right now from generally center-right, in some cases hard-right, sectors of the political universe. But how did he get here? What's he been doing for the last 67 years? Somebody who has the answers to those questions is a New York Times best-selling author. He's written, I I think we're up to now, about 15 books. Dick Russell, he's an author, an environmental journalist, and his latest book is The Real RFK Jr., Trials of a Truth Warrior. Mr. Russell, thanks so much for joining me on the radio very good to be with you frank so uh, the the I've been eager to talk with you for a long time. I've been a fan of yours for a couple of decades. Uh, Since the first book that you co-wrote with Jesse Ventura, I've admired your writing style and the fact that you tend to focus on areas that a lot of people ignore. And I want to get into this Robert F. Kennedy Jr. book, but let me begin by asking you about a story that's somewhat related, and it's something that you've spent a great deal of time writing about and researching, and I've spent a fair amount of time talking about it here on the radio, and that's the assassinations of both John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has made this uh, a very big issue in this campaign. He was very vocal about it when, when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Based on all your research, and I know you've looked at this for years, what is your best guess as to who was responsible for both the John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy assassinations? Well, I would say it's the same forces. I don't necessarily think it's the same people, but um, both were domestic conspiracies, very different than what the public was led to believe, certainly at the time. Not lone gunman, not Lee Harvey Oswald, and in fact, not Sirhan alone either. Even though he did fire shots in the pantry that night at Robert Kennedy, he did not, he was not, did not fire the fatal shots. And so, you know, we're talking about a huge cover-up here. We're talking about really a coup d'etat that happened in America in 1963 to overthrow the president of the United States. And uh, from my research, and I was doing this long before I, I knew Bobby Kennedy Jr., I wrote a book called The Man Who Knew Too Much back in 1992. It came out again in paperback, and then a couple more books, including one with Jesse Ventura about the JFK assassination. And my conclusion, although, and it's based on, I was the first journalist on the trail in the 70s, interviewing dozens and dozens of people. And um, I I went into it cold. I I didn't know what I was looking for, really. 
But um, for sure that there was an element of the CIA involved. I'm not saying it was the CIA per se, but rogue elements of the agency uh, with the mafia and with the Cuban exiles and right wing, uh, you know, fascist type people like General Charles Willoughby. So that was the JFK assassination. And uh, he was overthrown. It was made to look like uh, that it was a Castro, uh, Cuba, Russia hit, so to speak. And uh, it wasn't. But um, that's Lee Harvey Oswald was what he said he was. He was a patsy. He was basically framed and he was bumped off by Jack Ruby two days later. Casino owner there and in, in, uh, nightclub owner in Dallas um, before he could have a chance to talk about his connections to the CIA. So. Go ahead and ask me another question. Well, if you want. Uh, Jack Ruby obviously had a lot of connections to the mob. And when I spoke with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he said the same thing that Gary Hart had said when I interviewed him about this subject a decade ago, which is that the CIA had a long history of working with the mob, among other things, on attempted assassinations of foreign leaders. Do you believe that it was the mob working with rogue elements of the CIA? Yes, but I don't think the mob planned it. I don't think they had the capacity to cover it up either. Um, I think that was an orchestrated cover-up uh, based on, you know, the CIA and, and military intelligence uh, people's um, stopping any real investigation into this. Um, so yeah, it was it was a combination of those those elements uh, which uh, the Kennedys were very much. Uh, fighting. Um, Bobby Kennedy was indicting people with organized crime. JFK, many people thought, had, had, had guaranteed, well, he had, he guaranteed he wasn't going to invade Cuba again after the missile crisis ended and almost killed everybody. And uh, so he was considered somebody who was, uh, by certain right-wing elements, uh, was, was going to, uh, you know, destroy the country. And so, you know, there was a coup, basically, that overthrew him. And in 1968, his brother was running for president of the United States, had just announced a few months earlier. And as most people know, he was he was assassinated right after the, he won the California primary. And in that situation, my research revealed, although I never wrote a book about it uh, per se, uh, but I did a lot of looking into it. And Sirhan was, I believe, again, a patsy in a sense, uh, because he was hypno-programmed. Uh, under a, under a, a program that's kind of forgotten now, but it did, definitely existed called MK Ultra. The CIA had, had started in the 1950s uh, to control human behavior and even create assassins through hypnosis and drugs. And uh, so he went in there, fired blindly after being triggered. And uh, the guy who really shot uh, Robert Kennedy was shooting from the other direction, was behind him and shot him in the back of the head. And uh, there were many more bullets were found in the wall than were possible in Siron's gun. I think it was 13 bullets in the wall, eight in Siron's revolver. And um, so that, too, was a major cover-up that, uh, frankly, we've, we've never recovered from as a country. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. And the level of cynicism that's so pervasive in politics these days, I, I think, is in large part due to those assassinations, obviously, among other things. So we're talking with Dick Russell. He's the author of the new book, The Real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth, Ro uh, Trials of a Truth Warrior. I read this book. I uh, enjoyed it very much. I learned a great deal. As people would probably glom from the title, this is, I think it's fair to say, a laudatory uh, look at Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s life. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, I definitely would. You know, I've known Robert Kennedy Jr. for more than 20 years. 
Uh, we are friends. I originally met him when we got involved in the same environmental causes back in the late 1990s and early 2000s over fighting to save a gray whale uh, habitat in Mexico and the Atlantic striped bass, which I'd been a summer fisherman for as well. And, and uh, yeah, and then we worked together on other things through the years. And he wrote the introductions to uh, two of my books about climate change uh, a few years back. And I wrote the book not at his request. Uh, in fact, I was just outraged at the the treatment he was receiving uh, from the big media mm. in terms of uh, being censored, uh, kicked off Instagram, and anything he said was about public health issues. Once he took that up, uh, his environmental record was basically forgotten by and dismissed by the big media, and he. Uh, he wasn't even allowed to write a, a, a letter to the editor anymore to answer these uh, outrageous claims that he was a rabid anti-vaxxer, he was a conspiracy theorist, he was crazy, all these things that are resurfacing again now as he's running for president. But when I started writing the book, um, he was not running for president, but I wanted to give people a real picture of him as I knew him. It's not a personal biography because it's not really about me, but it's about his his record in the environment, especially, I, I detail all the different victories that he had uh, through his environmental career as an activist and even somebody going to prison in Puerto Rico for an act of civil disobedience when he went there on a protest. And, uh, you know, so and also what he's been through in his life, I mean, which is a lot. I mean, he's somebody who's, who's um, been to the bottom, actually. And you can imagine, you know, what he suffered after his father and his uncle's assassination. Sure. He, uh, yeah, no. A long I, way. I want to ask you about that. the The book itself it's very informative, and as I think people can tell with your description, it does mostly cast an admiring uh, admiring look at uh, Mr. Kennedy's life and his work. Do you think that this book it um, is it readable for people that may be skeptical of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or outright hostile to Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Do you think the book is while admiring objective enough to throw a biographical punch when need be? Well, I definitely hope so. I think it is. You know, I certainly wrote it that way uh, with an objectivity, looking at uh, all the different causes he'd been involved in over the years and, and trying to paint that picture, you know, as, as, a, as a real environmental hero that he's, he's was always long considered until he got into the public health stuff, which I also write about at some length because, you know, uh, people, I don't, I don't think, really know the behind-scenes story of why he did that uh, at the request of these mothers who were coming to him about their uh, kids who had autism. And and uh, it was something he never really intended to explore. But once he did, he was so outraged by what he found that he felt like, you know, he had to had to bring this to the attention of people. And it wasn't his only cause. I mean, you know, he didn't really dive into it full-time sure. ever. Um, but it was certainly something that triggered uh, his opponents uh, and people in the pharmaceutical industry to go after him and say this guy was, was full of crap. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. The latest controversy involving him, and a lot of our listeners have uh, have brought this up, not that you're a spokesperson for him, but I'm just curious as to your take on it and how it's been covered in the media, is these remarks that he made at a dinner with the media about COVID-19. He said, COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and 
and, uh, and uh, black people. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and, uh, and Chinese. And but not, we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted that or not. But there are papers out there that show the you know the um, the racial and ethnic differential and of impact to that. We do know that the Chinese are spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing ethnic bioweapons, and we are developing ethnic bioweapons. That's where all those labs in the Ukraine are about. They're collecting Russian DNA. They're collecting Chinese DNA. There's been uh, a call to have him disinvited to testify before Congress over this. There's been a lot of people rebuking him over these comments. Give me your take on this uh, latest kerfuffle involving the Kennedy campaign. Yeah, and it's been, I think it's honestly been blown out of proportion. I have not talked to him since this, since this came out. So, but I've seen his Twitter feeds and, and, you know, I, I know that he was at this dinner, and I've seen the video. It was an off-the-record conversation, as far as he knew. But he wasn't saying anything false, and he wasn't saying or suggesting, you know, that the COVID-19 virus was uh, targeted to spare Jews. Or, you know, he, he pointed out that the U.S. and other governments are developing fully, and they and we know that they have been. There's a lot of articles about this that have been written, ethnically targeted bioweapons as a potential for use in the future. And he wanted to warn about that and and raise the issue of it. And he did not uh, say in any way that, you know, Ashkenazi Jews, for example, were somehow responsible or or people who were, uh, you know, uh, trying to spread the COVID virus because they were immune to it or something. I mean, that's crazy. But, you know, it's one of those things that the media pick up on and kind of one feeds on the other. And I don't think it's fair, to tell you the truth. I, I don't think he was saying he's often... Listen, I will say this about him. He he speaks from the hip a lot of times, and I don't think he necessarily always weighs his words maybe in the way a politician should. You know, I mean, he he could be misconstrued, and he was in this in this case. And uh, you know, but I think it's unfair. I, I really do because I don't think he's saying what people are saying. What, what the media is saying? What did you make of the the criticism, very public criticism from his sister, Carrie Kennedy? Did, did, is that in keeping with the nature of their relationship over the years that she would sort of come out and I don't know, kind of kick him while he's down so publicly? Well, I guess I would say from what I know, and I don't know it firsthand. I don't know Carrie, but uh, but it was in keeping with how she has reacted in recent times uh, because her, her parts of her family, I believe, are involved in the public health world, mm. and they believe that you know Dr. Fauci was was doing great stuff, and and she was very, uh, as were other family members, upset that he was he was taking on this kind of you know sacred cow actually, and pointing out that there were. There were, there were things about the COVID vaccine that were not adequately tested in his view, and I think that's been shown. Um, and also that Dr. Fauci's history was not as glamorous as he was being perceived. So, you know, she was bringing these things. She was writing op-eds a couple of years ago, so it wasn't a brand new, um, what do you want to, I, don't, I won't even call it an attack, but a, a brand new, you know, uh, accusation against her brother that he shouldn't be, he was, he was being crazy and outrageous. One of the things that uh, obviously most people know about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is that he lost his father at a young age. Tell me how that experience growing up without a father in such a public family and in such a public manner, how that uh, how that altered his trajectory and how that kind of made him the sort of man that he is today. 
Yeah, well, I, I write about this quite a, you know, quite a bit in, in The Real RFK Jr. because he, too, feels it's a very important part of his his personal history, and uh, and I do, too. I didn't really know that much about it before we, we sat down and talked about it. And, and you know, he, he after his father was killed, he was 15 years old, and he went through a period of, of wow, he was just, you know, anguished, but also in revolt. It was the 1960s, and... He took off at one point and, and traveled, went out to California, didn't tell it. Nobody knew who he was, uh, rode freight trains with hobos. And uh, then he went to South, South America. His, his uh, Lem Billings, who was his mentor and his Uncle Jack's best friend for many, many years, and took Bobby under his wing after after his father was killed and, and brought him to his this ranch he had in Colombia in South America, where he, he got to know and live with, you know, impoverished people in villages, uh, sort of live firsthand what his father had told him about at the dinner table for many, many years, because his father was very involved in civil rights and going to Mississippi and so, and so on and, and uh, during that era. And, you know, and then he also became a, a very serious drug addict for a long time. I mean, he, he had a real problem and yet he was very high functioning. So he, you know, he wasn't somebody who seemed to be affected by this, but he was. And finally, he had a, a very serious um, brush with not even staying alive in 1983 and went into rehab and then into AA. And he really wanted to let people know in this biography that that he'd been through this and he'd come out the other side. He's still in AA to this day and uh, has helped, I think, uh, I don't know how many people, hundred in the hundreds, of so maybe thousands. I don't know, but you know, of 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 people, men who've had the same and women who've had the same problem that he he did in their own way. And and I don't know. It makes me think that again, he's somebody who's been so forthright about it, or certainly he is in the biography. Uh, that he's somebody who could really help families that are going through these terrible crises today with with uh, kids dying of fentanyl overdoses, mm. for example, in record numbers. So, um, But it, I think it also made him, what well, don't kill you, make you stronger, right? I mean, it made him a, a much stronger individual and somebody with real compassion for people and somebody, um, you know, who could, he just could work with regular folks. I mean, he's worked with commercial fishermen and farmers and Republicans who don't think the way he does, and which I think makes him, very appealing now to a lot of people as a candidate because number one, he's telling the truth about the way he sees things and raising issues that nobody else will. And number two, he can really work with all kinds of people to, uh, to try to make a difference in this country at a time when we're just so terribly divided. We don't generally hear much from the other members of the Kennedy family about their theories of the assassination. Certainly, we don't hear very much from most of the other Kennedys about their differences with, say, the Warren Commission report or that Sirhan Sirhan was the lone gunman in the Robert Kennedy case. Why has he been more willing than other Kennedy family members to talk about these assassinations and sort of challenge what is the official narrative on the, some of these assassinations? Well, you know, I think for most of the family, it was just too painful a subject. And for him, it was too for many, many years to, they just wanted to, um, you know, they just couldn't deal with it. And they couldn't watch the terrible Zapruder film of JFK being shot, all these kinds of things, right? Which is totally understandable. But he he was always somebody who questioned. And so 
you know, he read a book back in, I think it was 2008, a really great book um, called JFK and the Unspeakable. We covered that era when his when his uncle was president in an amazing way, showing why there were certain people that really thought he was a traitor to this country and wanted to get rid of him, and uh, and and painted that picture in a way that it started to raise big questions for for Bobby and and then uh, you know he and I actually it's kind of interesting I, I we never talked about this subject the, the whole first I don't know decade at least of our friendship relationship and because it was all about the environment i didn't know how he felt about it i wasn't i didn't want anything from him you know i just had written these books and eventually we we really got into it he wanted to know what i knew and uh so i i told him and and we've actually worked on some investigation ourselves uh since that time so you know he's he's a questioner he has got a lot of courage and also he's somebody who he really felt deeply that you know something huge changed during that era that his his father and his uncle were trying to to make a, a difference about and and he's carried that he's carried it i wouldn't call it a burden it's really like a a legacy that he was always look he was always considered kind of the golden boy among the kennedy uh siblings you know that he was the one who who could really have an amazing political career and he didn't do it for up until now, because he was raising six kids, he had his own family difficulties he was working through, um, and he's talked about that. So, of all of them, I just think he's, I don't know, I don't know if he's the most courageous, but he's the most willing to look at things that have happened that are very difficult for others in the family to, to examine. The uh, we're talking with Dick Russell. He's the author of uh, the real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth Warrior. You mentioned the time when he was seen as sort of a golden boy. He was once on the front page of New York magazine and the headline was the Kennedy who matters. It seemed that he was destined to be a future governor, senator, maybe even a president. And now he's viewed by many who were writing those same glowing profiles of him in the newspapers as being this fringe-like figure. Is the yep. sole cause of that his work and his his advocacy in the vaccine sphere, or is there more to it than that? Well, I think there's more to it now. I think that's where it certainly started, that people just, you know, it was, it was amazing, actually, as I was doing interviews for the book, for The Real RFK Jr., that there were a lot of people, not a lot, but there were some people I wanted to interview who'd worked with him on these very important environmental issues who suddenly were going, oh, I can't talk about it. I don't want to be associated with him anymore. You know, but just because he had a, a different view that they weren't, weren't really even willing to, to consider. And now, of course, as he announced a few months ago that he was going to run for president, I think the Democratic Party establishment is terrified of him because he's very different in the sense that he doesn't go along with a number of the policies that that uh, President Biden is, is, and his administration are, are putting through. Um, he's more appealing in some ways to independents and even uh, so-called right-wing people uh, than he is to liberal Democrats. 
but the media has just assaulted him and i think it's 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 kind of like an orchestrated uh hit campaign i mean it's it's bizarre to me that that it's so um, extreme i mean you you see it this week with this reaction about his remarks that he made and, and i mean the the press that he's he's getting is like wow but i must say if people are interested this a woman named naomi wolf was a terrific writer wrote a really really terrific uh uh, Substack piece about about what's going on with the media and and how he's actually telling the truth about the, the research into ethnic bioweapons, for example. So, yeah, a, a big part of what people notice right away about him, who hear him speak for the first time, is the spasmodic dysphonia. Tell me about how that has uh, has influenced his life at all, if at all, over the last couple of decades that he's been dealing with it. Well, it's certainly something that he hates having. I mean, it's, it's a it's a chronic condition, a very rare condition that that uh, I think Diane Reem, the Washington uh, D.C. talk show host, uh, has the same uh, malady. But um, I mean, he used to be. You know, his, when I first knew him, his voice was crystal clear, and and uh, people never had a hard time understanding him. And suddenly, he had this condition, which has been very difficult for him. But uh, at the same time, I think we've, we're seeing now. He's doing some very interesting alternative treatments, and uh, um, and they seem to be helping. I think that the longer it's interesting, and maybe it has something to do with spirit as well. You know, I mean, he's, he, as he talks and does interviews with people, the voice seems to get stronger as mm-hmm. he goes along these days. I don't know if you've noticed that. I have. I have, actually. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I I could talk with you for an hour and hopefully you'll come back. But there's two areas, two other areas that I want to get into with you before we run out of time here. One is what he's been doing with respect to vaccines. Obviously, a lot of people have been somewhat skeptical of the covid vaccines because of the newness of them. But he's been skeptical of a lot of vaccines in general going back to 2005. A number of people have uh, accused him of convincing the Samoan prime minister to halt measles vaccinations amidst a measles epidemic. And they're saying that the fact that uh, they went along with what he suggested, that actually caused a lot more people to get measles and die. Is the position of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on vaccines at odds with the accepted science on vaccines? Well, it depends on which scientists you're you're looking at i mean the of course it's at odds with with uh what, what a lot of people have said but it's he's also done a tremendous amount of study i mean we talked about it at some length you know right from the very beginning he'd been he, he went into this uh whole situation after these women were coming up to him about their kids getting autism from uh they they felt thimerosal a mercury laden preservative and at that time and the vaccines might be responsible and he started looking into it, and he discovered there was this big cover-up, uh, documented by the Centers for Disease Control, of uh, of a meeting they had where they're trying to squelch any any uh, information coming out about this. So he wrote a big piece about it, and he certainly that was 
he thought that was it. I mean, he published it and published in Rolling Stone and Salon uh, website back in 2005. And he thought, well, okay, I've brought this out, and and uh, it, it got a lot of attention and also a lot of sudden uh, uh, backlash from from pharmaceutical industry and their allies. And uh, but you know, it wasn't like he suddenly switched a, a switch went on and he devoted the rest of his life to that. I mean. He didn't, and he was still working a lot of environmental cases, the Monsanto victories that he, he had against the Monsanto Chemical Company, et cetera. And, um, but he, that's where the, uh, he began to be blackballed, you know, because, frankly, I mean, who knows ultimately, but the pharmaceutical industry is tremendously powerful and has become more so over the last several decades. I mean, they didn't used to be able to advertise on TV, uh, now they're all over the evening news. The Federal Communications Commission allowed that. I think it was in 1986. It's only one other country that lets that happen, by mm. the way, which is New Zealand. And uh, and then um, you know they're, they're also the biggest lobbying force in, in Washington D.C. Uh, really, really powerful. And there's been some pretty grim stuff that's happened with vaccines and and, and with medications in general. Um, and all he, you know. He's not an anti-vaxxer, as he's labeled over and over and over again. He is, he is someone who has called for over and over again uh, safe vaccines, and to him that means vaccines that are preclinically, before they're clinically approved, they're tested against a placebo, and he really worked hard to see if the National Institute of Health ever did that and discovered that they did not. So. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to be calling for, and yet he's labeled uh, what he is um, by by the the, the industry and, and its allies. We hear a lot about election denialism these days as it relates to the 2020 election, and a lot of the folks that uh, don't believe that President Biden fairly won the election are persona non grata in many polite corners of society. There was a segment of the, the, the population, including Mark Crispin Miller, the NYU professor who's been on this program, who questioned the 2004 election and whether or not George W. Bush actually won re-election fair and square in that election. Was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a 2004 election denier? He was certainly an election researcher into what really happened, and so was I. I mean, I worked on that with him for one of the pieces he did for Rolling Stone, and uh, it was very clear that uh, the people that I interviewed and he interviewed that uh, uh, votes in Ohio were sent to a computer system, I think it was Georgia, I can't remember exactly, but down south, uh, and were changed uh, to give Ohio to Bush. And that was the key state. If Kerry had won Ohio, he would have become the president. Now, I asked Kerry about this. I I ran into him at a fundraiser uh, a few years later, fundraiser for Al Franken, actually. And and I said, you know, Senator Kerry, I, I had him alone. I said, uh, did you happen to see the piece that I wrote with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about the 2004 election and how it was stolen from you? And at first he was very taken aback. And then he looked at me and he said, yeah, I know I won that election. But by the time uh, my, my staff could uh, could prove that, it was too late. Wow. So I walked away and I I wrote this down in my notebook. I mean, it was not taped, you know, it's not a smoking gun because I don't have any absolute proof that this happened, but I was there and he told me this 
And I thought to myself, wow, if this, if this guy knew this and never raised his voice about it, what does that say about the integrity of our voting systems and our democracy? I thought it was a very weak thing not to ever bring up. And so really, I think there were two elections in a row, both of which were won by George W. Bush, allegedly. First one was handed to him by the Supreme Court in Florida, and the second one was, was taken away in Ohio. And uh, that's real stuff. It happened. Lastly, I'll, I'll end with this because uh, I'm way late here. It's no secret that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has a lot of admirers on the right. Uh, Roger Stone has been out there saying that Donald Trump should pick Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as his running mate. A lot of other, a lot of the callers to this program that are conservative say they love Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And if he was the Democratic nominee, they'd vote for him. One of the things that I do wonder is, do you think that Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s environmental activism and the fact that he's been so vocal on issues like climate change for as long as you've known him and probably long before that, do you think that it's possible that he might be able to pierce through the sort of conservative bubble of climate denialism and convince some conservatives that climate change is real and is a problem that needs to be reckoned with? Well, yeah, I think he could because he knows a lot about it, and he's not a big fan of of, uh, solutions like geoengineering, which have been proposed by Bill Gates and others, you know, that this is going to be the panacea and the cure-all for the climate. I mean, we are obviously in a climate crisis. There is no doubt about it. I mean, I've written two books on it myself. I've written books, you know, that show that the big oil companies and the coal companies intentionally covered this up, the impacts of what they were doing for, you know, 30 years now. And 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 uh, but Bobby Kennedy is also a believer in free market capitalism. He thinks that uh, you know that 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 alternative energy solutions can be put through that are going to help with this problem. I don't know if we'll ever solve it. Uh, and and so I think that he's he's not a socialist. He's gonna he can appeal to people that that and makes and make sense out of it. And. You know, and and point out that we've got to do something. I mean, and, and it's got to happen pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I think I think he's certainly got the knowledge to do that. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Well, uh, Dick Russell, I hope we can chat again very soon. I'm a big admirer of your work. Uh, thanks for staying up late with us. Thanks so much, Frank. Good to be with you. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. Again, the book, if you want to check it out, it's available on Amazon and uh, wherever books are sold. The Real RFK Jr., Trials of a Truth Warrior, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.